Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Truckers Network Radio Show on TNCRadio.live. I'm Shelley Johnson. We're a station that offers the news, traffic, weather, sports, talk, and entertainment that our commercial drivers want to hear. Speaking of commercial driving, many may not realize that the Santa Fe Trail played a vital and important role in our nation's commerce. It was not only the nation's first commercial highway, but it was also an international thoroughfare. With us today is Deb Goodrich, the chair of the Santa Fe Trail 200. She works with the Santa Fe Trail Association, which can be found at santafetrail.org. Deb is an historian, author, and popular speaker. She's been a talking head on numerous documentaries, appeared in AHC's Gunslinger series on Wild Bill Hickok, and the History Channel States and Aftershock. She's the host of the Around Kansas weekly TV show. We're lucky to have her today to tell us about the Santa Fe Trail. You know, a lot of people don't know that much about the Santa Fe Trail. What does the Santa Fe Trail Association do? Well, um, just exactly what you just said, Shelley, because a lot of people don't know anything about it. It's our job to see that they do. It is probably America's most historic road. Um, One of our friends said that you could teach American history just by teaching the story of the trail. And I, I would say that that's the truth. So it's our job to preserve physical aspects of the trail when possible and to um, share the story and make sure that that's uh, um, available to generations to come. It was the nation's first commercial highway and it had a huge impact on commerce, didn't it? And in the growth of the nation. Uh, It's, it can't be overstated, Shelley. The Santa Fe trail, um, is considered uh, to have begun in 1821 when William Becknell, who was a poor guy who was um, bankrupt and facing jail time for being um, in debt, left Missouri, which was a brand new state. They became a state that year. And he headed southwest with a handful of guys and some trade goods. Now, he had said that he was going to go Uh, collect hides. Maybe hides were um, important uh, trade goods at the time, but he was headed for Santa Fe. Now, Americans couldn't legally enter Santa Fe at the time. It was the northern province of Mexico, and Spain controlled Mexico, and they controlled Mexico with a stranglehold. Um, In fact, the whole world was clamoring for Spain to give Mexico its freedom because they just collected um, horrific taxes from the people, from the churches, the church, um, uh, the Catholic church that uh, was predominant, um, just collected horrific ties from, from those parishes in New Mexico, and they were just poor parishes. And it's just staggering to think of what those people in New Mexico, that northern province, were lacking. 
So unbeknownst to Beck Nell, Mexico does gain its freedom while he's headed there. So when he gets there, rather than being arrested like so many people had been before him, he was welcomed with open arms. And when he comes into the plaza there in Santa Fe and he starts rolling out his trade goods, which are bolts of cloth, pins, needles, threads, mirrors, brushes, pots, pans, just normal things, the people are just uh, clamoring for these things. And he makes a bunch of money. They had silver there in Mexico. So he goes back to Missouri um, in the early part of uh, 1822. And when he shows them, you know, that he made an incredible profit on just a handful of things, man, that opened the door. And uh, for 60 years, the Santa Fe Trail was the lifeblood of, of commerce in America. So what went into the building of the Santa Fe Trail? I would imagine they had to clear a lot of land, didn't they? I mean, when you think about it, it was so rugged in our nation. I'm amazed that they got anything accomplished. I mean, you had to be really tough to really endure everything. Well, life, um, people ask me as a as an historian, you know, what time would you go back to? I wouldn't go back to five minutes before I was born. Um, <laughs> I would love to walk around for a day and observe, but there's no time that I would have liked to live in. So life was tough no matter where you are, but certainly setting out on those trails. Um, as far as um, clearing land, um, the challenges would have been different. The, the trail follows um, animal paths, uh, Native American paths. You know, there are paths uh, of commerce or of um, uh, just travel. Let's just say travel. There are travel paths that have been in place for hundreds, sometimes thousands of years. And so what the Santa Fe Trail does is it picks up on those. So there would be pieces of different trails that have been used. Um, we now know uh, so much more about um, the Native Americans and their trade early on. Like in, um, uh, there's a, a lot of study going on with the lost city of Etzanoa, which is basically just north of the central Oklahoma-Kansas line, where um, villages of thousands of people have been discovered. And it was obvious that even as uh, far back as 400 years ago, and maybe longer, they were trading with both coasts. Um, so it's not that the Santa Fe Trail is the first time there is trade. It is um, international. It is between two separate nations. It is um, on a scale um, unknown before that. And that's a lot of the change that white Europeans bring to the continent. It's not that this is the first time, but we bring a scale that was not known before that. And obviously different items. And one of the big things about the trail and what again, gives it an international aspect is so many of the trade goods are coming into um, ports in the Northeast, especially into Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, traveling um, by uh, pretty much by river and coming to St. Louis and then out the Missouri River and then on down 
you know, freighted down to Santa Fe. So they're importing blankets from England, um, uh, beads from Italy. They're, they're all these international goods that are being traded. So the international aspect of the trail can't be overstated. There are just so many layers to the story, Shelley. It's, it's just incredible. It's fascinating. Now, where does it start? Where does it end? And how long is the Santa Fe Trail? So the Santa Fe Trail, as recognized by the National Park Service, um, we count the starting point in Franklin, Missouri, which is western Missouri on the Missouri River. And then it cuts a diagonal through Kansas. It slashes through Kansas almost perfectly diagonally. And there are two routes. One will go into Colorado uh, by Bent's Fort, which is a very famous National Historic Site, and then down Raton Pass into, um, into New Mexico. The other will cut through the panhandle of Oklahoma and come into um, New Mexico, avoiding that mountain pass. And even though it's known as the Cimarron Cutoff, it's um, the most popular because it's not as rugged, but it also was the most challenging in terms of finding water. So neither route is, uh, is easy. Um, and those routes combined, what is federally recognized again, is around 1,200 miles. What impact would you say the Santa Fe Trail had for our commerce? If it had not been there, would we have grown as quickly as we did in the 1800s? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, the exchange of culture, um, you know, we are truly trading with a foreign nation. Now we are um, so familiar, um, you know, as a, as a nation. We, we go to Italian restaurants. We go to Chinese restaurants. We um, have entertainment like uh, um, in Topeka, where I lived for many years, Cinco de Mayo, you know, where the, um, the population that immigrated from Mexico still marks so many of their traditions, their foods. Um, even small towns have some of that international flavor. That would not have been so in the 1820s. People, you know, communication was much slower, travel was much slower. It was, New Mexico was exotic. And the lure of Santa Fe, you know, when um, the Atchison Topeka Santa Fe Railroad was created, which is now BNSF, when that was created, um, Cyrus Holiday was just trying to get wood from Atchison to build buildings in Topeka. Nobody in the East wanted to invest in a railroad from Atchison to Topeka. Nobody cared. But when he put Santa Fe, we're going to try to go to Santa Fe then that sparked interest. It was so exotic and uh, people wanted literally the flavor, the flavor of Santa Fe and that, that exotic experience of Santa Fe. Um, in real terms, Santa Fe, uh, one of the raw materials that they provided was wool. And so the wool trade becomes incredibly significant between Mexico and the United States. Yeah, the cultural exchange. And then um, one of the things you talked about how it became a road. Mm -hmm. In 1821, they start trading, but in 1825, 
it becomes a real road. That's when the government surveys it. That's when they mark um, a real route. That's when they have treaties with the Osage and the, the Ka or the Kanze Nation to um, allow passage. Of course, that was only a piece of the trail. Uh, there were other tribes that dominated in other areas, but that makes it a real road. And that is also when Mexican traders start coming north. They realize the value in it and they start bringing um, their wool and metals and the things that they have north to uh, Missouri to trade. So um, it's, uh, yeah, it's so pivotal in the growth of America. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the, the downside of it is displacing many of those tribes. The, right. the Kaw Nation for whom Kansas is named, the, the Kansa or Kanze, um, were right on the Santa Fe Trail at Council Grove. That was their last reservation in Kansas. And had that not been such a lucrative spot for investors, they might not have been moved to the Indian nations, you know, present day Oklahoma, they may have been able to hang on. So Kansas essentially kicks out the tribe that it's named for. Yeah. So it, yeah, it's a, it's a complex story. There was terrible displacement. That's not a, a proud time for our nation, for sure. Nope, it's not. It's not. I hate to interrupt here, but we have to go to break. We'll have some more great history about the Santa Fe Trail from Deb Goodrich coming up in our next segment on the Truckers Network radio show on TNCRadio.live. Stay tuned for more. TNCRadio.live is proud to carry the Steve Summers Overnight Drive Show. TNCRadio.live is dedicated to commercial drivers. We offer the news, traffic, and weather you need, and the entertainment, sports, talk, music, and celebrity interviews you want to hear 24-7. We have original shows and trucker podcasts that feature some of your favorites, like Ice Road Alex Demogorski and America's Truckin' Sweetheart Marcia Campbell. TNCRadio.live is convenient and designed for professional drivers. The best part is we're free, and you can listen anywhere you are on the road. With just one tap, you can tune into Steve Summers and us right on your phone. Simply download our app by going to app.tncradio.live. That's app.tncradio.live. Industry Movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at TruckingMovesAmerica.com. Welcome back to the Truckers Network Radio Show here on TNCRadio.live. I'm Shelly Johnson. We're talking with Deb Goodrich, who's been giving us a history of the Santa Fe Trail. She's with the Santa Fe Trail Association. This is fascinating stuff. Would you say the Santa Fe Trail was significant as a melting pot? Um, Because you were talking about the exchange of culture and everything else. I would imagine that was kind of a pivotal influence, too. It was. And people who were on the frontier, no matter where the frontier was, there tended to be mixed marriages, um, either between um, natives and white Europeans, between 
um, Mexicans and white Europeans, between blacks and, and Native Americans, there tended to be a lot of mixed race um, marriage or relationships and, and offspring. And um, so that is, I think, a lot of where the true melting pot comes. Um, you know, the more civilization moves in, the more the, the strict lines are drawn and, and we try to put people back in the place that they're supposed to occupy. But on that, on that frontier, the lines are, are blurred or non-existent because you're all about surviving and, and you, you get to know people in a different way mm-hmm. and depend on people in a different way. So uh, many of those um, famous families, Bents Fort being a good example, the Bents, um, very well-educated, well-to-do family from St. Louis, go west and they intermarry with, um, with Mexicans, with Native Americans. Um, and so you have offspring uh, of the Bents who are actually um, part Cheyenne and taking part in Cheyenne um taking part in battles where the Cheyenne are um, fighting American soldiers. So it's a, it's, it's a real complicated picture. And so, yeah, it's a, it's a big part of the melting pot. And then um, the other thing with that, you have, when that trade route opens, there are so many families in Mexico who begin sending their children to school in America so a lot of those um, New Mexicans are sending children to St. Louis, uh, many of them Catholic. So a lot of them are going to the Catholic schools in St. Louis. But once they are in America, it's just like internationals coming to school in America now. Uh, a lot of them get the flavor and want to stay here. And so when the Mexican war broke out um, in the 1840s, when America goes to war with Mexico, the Santa Fe Trail becomes a route of conquest. But many of those people in New Mexico are loyal to the states because now they have this identity with the United States. And it's much stronger than their identity with Mexico City, who really doesn't care about them because they're a northern province and only cares about the taxes they can collect. So it's a, yeah, it's, it's such an incredible p- picture and such an incredible piece of, of our westward expansion and, um, you know, America becoming what it is today, good or bad. When you think about it, it, it had to have been kind of a scary proposition for people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to travel it, because you're going not only across country, you don't know what to expect, but you're going into a- another country. How many states were actually states at the time? I mean, when we're talking 1820 and forward with the Santa Fe Trail. Oh, gosh, Shelley, I don't know. Basically, you've got the eastern third of the nation and you've got California. Uh, okay. You know, so yeah. that's that's pretty much it. Um so people so, kind of considered that international travel. It had to have been. Oh, it, it was international travel. You're yeah. crossing boundaries. Um, and those boundaries meant something. Like I said, before Becknell got to Santa Fe, anybody coming from America was arrested. When Zebulon Pike was exploring that area in 1804, um, he gets arrested by the Mexican government and taken to jail. So, and anybody that just happened over the line 
yeah, they, they were arrested. So it, it was truly an international border. And then even once um, Americans were welcomed into Santa Fe um, and into to that province, there were some really strict rules. And then when trade really started becoming a big deal, then you've got all these tariffs they put on things and they're going to tax you to death on it because they see the opportunity to make money and and yeah you're dealing with a foreign government Mm -hmm. so yeah it's a it's really really fascinating could you give us maybe um a short summary uh, or description of what somebody would experience if they started on the east coast and made their way across the santa fe trail what what kind of conditions and challenges did they face well um when we were talking about roads, you know, the condition of the roads was, um, you know, this is rough. This is this is cross country. So we don't have pavement. Um, if it rains, you've got deep mud. Um, and the Santa Fe Trail is a route of commerce. So you have freight wagons, which are big, heavy wagons, pretty much carrying goods. You have some immigration, but not much. Uh, commerce is predominantly it. So there are not a lot of families. There are a few, um, you know, the big merchants would carry their families with them sometimes, but there's not a lot of family travel on the, on the Santa Fe Trail. Um, so that's probably the good news. But number one, the road conditions are just going to depend on the ground that's under you. It might be sand, it might be rock, it might be mud. So that's, you know, your number one issue is just that land that you're, you're traveling over. The weather is the biggest factor. It mm-hmm. is, um, you can imagine, I mean, a tornado, uh, high winds, you know, where do you go for cover? Um, yeah. I, it's, I, I can't imagine that. I, I just can't imagine what that must have been like. And then you're crossing rivers where you've got to find um, a good place to cross. And of course, these become popular. And if you're taking um, a lot of wagons across, they get they get muddy. Um, they get very difficult to cross when the rivers are swollen. You've got those issues. You've got um, um, blizzards and uh, rainstorms and uh, um, all kinds of stuff to, to deal with. And so weather is the number one, the number one factor. And my sources, I got to go back to this. Uh, my sources just told me there are 24 states in 1821. Okay. So even though that's about half of our states, it's only about a third to, uh, yeah, about a third of our actual physical uh, geography. Sure, so, sure. Um, and then you have to contend with either bandits or um, Native Americans who um, uh, justifiably resented their land being crossed. And those confrontations sometimes were peaceful. There were some traders who were smart enough to allow for that and pay tribute. You know, I'm going to give you these trade goods for your allowing me to cross your land. And they got along really well. And then some that did not. So you never knew how that was going to come out. So that was a, um, a big piece of anxiety. And then when you got to uh, where you were going, you know, you've got a lot of 
empty space where there's no place to get um, more goods. Let's say you you lose some things in a storm or, or in a river crossing. There's no place to pick up other stuff until, um, you know, you've gone several hundred miles. So the real fear of starvation, um, that's, that's a legitimate fear. It's not just something out in the ozone. It's a real fear. And when you get there, you don't know how you're going to be welcomed. Um, like I said, they, they may be happy for your goods, but they may have changed the law last week and you're going to pay a higher tariff. Um, so everything about it was unknown. And for women who did travel the trail with their husbands, oh my goodness, there's an incredible book. Uh, Marion Sloan Russell was one of those women and Land of Enchantment. That's where Los, or where um, New Mexico got its slogan, you know, Land of Enchantment was from her. And she talked about the, the perils and the, um, and the excitement and adventure of being on the trail in those early days. But for women, it was especially difficult. There were women who um, uh, had children uh, born along the trail. And it was just a, a horrific experience. And women who died on the trail and a disease, you know, in the 19th century, no matter where you were, disease was such a huge factor, cholera. You know, and yeah. it could spread through people and smallpox. I mean, you know, all those things that you would have had no matter where you are. But again, on the trail, there's no support system. It's just whoever you're with. And um, so, yeah, it was every aspect of it was challenging. Scary proposition. You had to be really courageous. To, yes, you did. To go across country like that. How long was the actual trip? Well, obviously, it varied a lot, but a couple of months. Mm-hmm. was was the average um two or three months something like that did they have specific seasons when it was more advantageous to to go across the, the santa fe trail i would imagine winter would have been real tough well you yes you obviously wanted to avoid the winter um but spring you know with the rains could be really challenging too Every season had its advantages and disadvantages. You know, summer might be great, but then finding water in summer could be very hard. So you just had to weigh the advantages and disadvantages of every time. And if you waited till fall, yeah, if you got delayed, you could be caught in a blizzard. So um, most of them were probably made in in the spring. Um, but uh, people were traveling all the time. When Becknell came back from Missouri in 1822 and that winter he came um in the winter like in January and I just can't imagine that he you know set back from Missouri at that point um but they did they traveled it in all seasons but yeah they tried to do uh probably mid to late spring it had to be tough we have to go to break here on the Truckers Network Radio Show on TNCRadio.live. We'll be back with more from Deb Goodrich on the Santa Fe Trail. Stay tuned. Great leaders challenge their people not to stop at the first right answer. Tighten the Lug Nuts is the book that will help you move past that first right answer to be more effective, more productive, and more successful. This book serves as a blueprint that can be easily applied by leaders, entrepreneurs, truckers, owner-operators, 
all of us in our everyday lives. This is one of the best leadership books you can read to help you accelerate towards your personal and professional goals. Plus, a portion of the proceeds will be donated to truckerschristmasgroup.org. Visit tightenthelugnuts.com to order your copy today. Welcome back to the Truckers Network Radio Show on TNCRadio.live. We're talking to Deb Goodrich about the Santa Fe Trail. Um, I have traveled across this country, and I've just marveled. Tried to put myself back, you know, back in the 1800s, and, and I can't imagine it. You had to be really tough. You really did. Uh, everything was work. And if you didn't do it correctly, it could mean life and death. Really yeah. Could. Yeah. 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 You could die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was all tough, no matter where you are. And you read the news. I love going through the old newspapers from the time. And it's like um, the accidents that happen, you know, steam was a very, um, you know, prevalent uh, um, energy source and all these accidents with steam locomotives or a steam engine or something. And Somebody was scalded to death. Somebody was run over. A horse ran away. And yeah. and we have accidents now. But honestly, um, just reading some of those, they're just, oh, my goodness. It, every day was uh, just a struggle. When you think percentage-wise, probably traveling, um, you had more fatalities <laughs> than today. I, I, you know? I think so. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know that I've got the hard facts to back that up, but I would think so. Yeah. Well, I, I'm not sure that they were actually tallying that back then. Right. Right. So did the Santa Fe Trail play a, a major role with the railroad expansion as well? Oh, absolutely. And the railroad expansion is what basically makes the Santa Fe Trail obsolete. Um when um, the Atchison, Topeka, Santa Fe, and the Kansas Pacific are both, um, you know, headed west, and we get the Transcontinental Railroad completed in 69, I think, but then you've got both of these guys heading to Santa Fe, and finally, oh, 1880, so Atchison, Topeka gets there first, and um, so they, uh, um, that pretty much makes it obsolete. In fact, as the Kansas Pacific is being built westward along the Smoky Hill Trail, which basically cuts through the upper third of Kansas, it would go from Atchison, Kansas, um, on the Missouri River to Denver. As the Kansas Pacific is building westward, it changes the route of the Santa Fe uh, trail traffic or freight. So it would be um, taken by train from the Kansas City area rather than freighted. And it would be taken by train to maybe Hayes, Kansas, and then maybe Ellsworth, Kansas, and then to Sheridan, Kansas, which was hell on wheels, the end of the tracks for two years. And then it was offloaded and freighted down to pick up the trail, um, maybe at Dodge City or or later at Grenada, Colorado, or or someplace, and then finally to Santa Fe. So as the railroads are moving westward, um, they will supplant the the actual uh, ground route of the Santa Fe Trail. Yeah, I'm reading that in February of 1880, the railroad reached Santa Fe, and the trail kind of faded into history. Mm-hmm. Is that about the time? Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. 
So can people actually see markers and can they follow the Santa Fe Trail? You know, I would think it would be fascinating to take a trip across country doing that. They really can. Um, you know, that's part of what the association does is marking the trail. And there are, um, if you visit our website, we have a fantastic website, santafetrail.org. It's real simple. Um, and it talks about the various chapters. We've got 15 chapters in the five different states that the um, federally recognized trail is in. Um that do all kinds of great programming, but the marker program is on there. And so marking that trail is a big piece of what we do. And there are places where you can see the ruts that are still there from the trail. And many of those are marked. And so, yeah, you can follow pretty closely. I know in um, Southwestern Kansas, there's one stretch where you drive on the trail. I think it's like 22 miles where you're driving on the original trail and then there, and that's on a a side road, but then there are main roads that are on the main body of the trail, you know, pieces of them. Cause like I said, the routes are essentially the same when, you know, it was animals and then native Americans following the animals and then trappers and traders following those. And then, you know, our trade routes, our main roads all over the country are essentially those same historic routes you know, with a few curves taken out and a few grading modifications. But those routes have been in place and are still used. So what does the association do? Uh, Are there events? Uh, People can participate. Um, You said that, um, let me look back here. You're the chair of the Santa Fe Trail 200. Mm -hmm. What is that? Well, it's our bicentennial commemoration. So... Um, we're marking that from 2021 through 2025 because there are, again, so many significant events in those years to mark. And um, so 2021, we had an incredible number of events. Uh, despite COVID, we had a lot outside and um, we had just a, an incredible number of events. And um, the next four years, we don't have as many events, but we have, we're working a lot more on the outreach. So there are, again, in all those communities, you know, you're talking five states. So there's communities all along there that do their individual thing. Um, we have a rendezvous in Larned, Kansas, which is kind of the middle of the trail um, every year or every other year. And then we have a symposium every other year. So they, they stagger. And so this year it will be a rendezvous in September in Larned. And um, the theme is youth on the trail. So we'll talk about kids stories from the trail, which are fascinating. And we have great speakers and, you know, some really cool stuff. And then in 2023, our symposium will be um, in the Kansas City area and focusing on art on the Santa Fe Trail. And I'm so excited about that one. I can just hardly stand it. Right now, I'm planning for an event uh, this weekend in Oklahoma City at the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum that has an exhibit on the Santa Fe Trail up through May 1st. And that, even though Oklahoma has a small portion of the trail, it's a really significant piece. Uh, But of course, that museum is all about the West, not just Oklahoma. But um, part of the reason we're uh, 
excited about that is to get Oklahomans educated on, uh, you know, their connection to the trail, which is often overlooked. We have a lot of Texas connections to the trail. And so we have a lot of folks um, coming to this um, event this weekend from the Texas Panhandle to, um, you know, explore trail history. No matter where you are, you've got a connection. So there's a lot going on. Just check the website. So many ways to get involved. Well, I'm sure that our drivers, we have commercial drivers as, as our audience, they would be fascinated with this because this was the beginning of commerce, which is what they are. They are the modern day version of those freighters. Um, Absolutely. And um, I actually grew up in Southwest Virginia, Northwest North Carolina, where um, we've got so many independent trucking companies and so many um, big trucking companies. And actually one of my cousins at one time, Uh, He's passed away, but he owned the biggest truck stop in the world. It was there south of, uh, it was near um, Fredericksburg. It was uh, between Richmond and Washington. It had its own radio station, Shelly. It was really cool. (laughs) Oh, wow. What was the name of it? Gerald's Truck Stop. Oh, very cool. And so uh, my cousin Oren was uh, president of the Truck Stop Association of America I don't know, a dozen times or something. Yeah, so I, I'm very aware of truckers and appreciate them very much and uh, appreciate being able to share with them today because they are the modern embodiment of those freighters. And mm-hmm. and all the uh, the characteristics we were talking about, you know, the, the courage and the endurance and all the things that we talk about then, they have to have it now too oh, yeah. because I'm telling you, the roads are scary. They are. And they have a lot of obstacles like people that don't know how to drive around semis. So, I mean, (laughs) and that they drive year round. So they've got all of the weather conditions and they know what's going to be happening. Yeah. That's why I thought this would be so perfect because the Santa Fe Trail is commerce, you know, the nation's first commercial highway that most people don't even think about. Right. So I really appreciate your taking the time to find out about it because it, yes. it is a it's a huge story. And like I said, no matter where you are, you've got a piece of it. I was back in Boston and Philadelphia um, in January and again, exploring those connections. You've got um, goods being imported there that are sent down the trail. Many of the big merchant houses there become involved in um, the Santa Fe Trail traffic and um um one of the things that is fascinating to me um there are a lot of jewish merchants on the trail and the relationship between those jewish merchants and the catholic church in santa fe are fascinating and how they work together in the community and still do um just so many incredible stories that reach far beyond the the physical trail itself the mm-hmm. stories are are way bigger so it was kind of a unifier in many ways it could be it, mm-hmm. it was at times it, it could be mm-hmm. um you know there's a conflict and conquest and all that but there yeah i i think it's more unifying than than not mm-hmm. I, it well it, it did tie us together you know literally i mean once the uh, uh, as a result of the Mexican War, you know, New Mexico 
is the United States. Right. Um, so had it not been for that trail traffic, um, that wouldn't have happened. Absolutely. Good or bad, you know, whether they like it or not, you know, sure. that that's how it wound up. And so, yeah, it's a just an incredible piece. Deb, we're coming up on our last segment. We have to go to break. This is fascinating. And definitely the listeners need to stay tuned because you've got more great information when we come back. You're listening to the Truckers Network Radio Show here on TNCRadio.live. Kathy DeCaro is nothing short of amazing. She not only drives the world's biggest truck as a heavy equipment operator in northern Alberta, Canada. She's an international motivational speaker and the author of Dream Big, an autobiography about overcoming a lifetime of trauma and abuse that led to dreams of success. Kathy inspires people the world over to change their lives and improve their self-worth. Her book will change your life. She's passionate about personal growth and believes anyone can change their circumstances and overcome their obstacles if they believe in themselves. Her life will amaze you and seriously inspire you. Be sure to order a copy of her book, Dream Big, on Amazon.com. Don't miss Marcia Campbell, North America's Trucking Sweetheart, Thursdays at 6 p.m. Central on TNCRadio.live. Welcome back to the Truckers Network Radio Show here on TNCRadio.live. We are talking with Deb Goodrich. She's been telling us some great stories about the Santa Fe Trail, the nation's first commercial highway, and an international highway at that. So when people are traveling cross-country, they could actually maybe be going by the Santa Fe Trail, not even knowing it. I took a train years ago from Chicago to California, and we went through uh, New Mexico, and we went through Kansas and all of that. Would that have followed some of the Santa Fe Trail? Probably. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, um, you've got the routes. Like there's some people that talk about the trails going on to California. Mm-hmm. Um uh, gosh, there were people who came to Santa Fe and then kept going to California. Um, we don't call that part of the Santa Fe trail, but it, uh, it's certainly a piece of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, and you can't take the Santa Fe trail out of it. Really. We, we may not technically call it a part of the Santa Fe trail because it gets too unwieldy. And um, the Santa Fe Trail Association actually operates with a cooperative agreement with the National Park Service. So they help fund the operation of the association because the association does so many valuable things in in preserving and and promoting and interpreting the trail. So to be federally recognized, you know, you've just got to stop somewhere. So, again, it's that 1,200 miles in those five states. But the roads that lead into that, you know, you've got, uh, if you look at the, the trail system, and part of that is on our website, um, you've got the, the trails that are coming out of Mexico to Santa Fe. You've got um, all these other trade routes that are going and immigration routes that are going in different directions. So it's just like today, it's just part of the highway system. Um, it's the piece we focus on. And I think it is the most important piece, 
but it's it's just a piece of it. So there's yeah, once you once you get in, Shelly, there's you can go in any direction you want. So people can go on the website and actually look at a big map and see where exactly the Santa Fe Trail was and all the other trails mm-hmm. and, and, and just follow it. They could take the map with them and Sure. That would be exciting. It is exciting. It is. And again, you see the difference in the the landscape along the trail, how the um, the flora and the fauna, how it, it all, the geology, how it all changes. And just imagine there are some places along the trail that really haven't changed in 200 years. And then there are other places that, uh, you know, where cities grew up or ranches and, and the landscape has been altered. But uh, there are a lot of places where it's pretty easy to look out and imagine exactly what they would have seen. So how can people reach out? Um, I wanted to mention that it, it, it's really wonderful. Michael Martin Murphy is also involved with your organization. He's, he's such a wonderful musician. It's, it's so appropriate. What a great spokesperson for your organization. Well, I thought it was really appropriate, and that's why I asked him. Um, oh, it was Michael, your idea? Well, bravo. Yes, it was, and I'm, I'm proud of it. Um, Michael, yeah, he's a, obviously he's a wonderful musician, songwriter, uh, singer, um, uh, part of the soundtrack of, of my life, for sure. But Michael is also um, such an incredible historian himself, and he is so dedicated to the story of the American West. And he, um, he's so passionate about that. He has actually founded a nonprofit called the Murphy Western Institute, and that is not honoring him. It's his pioneering ancestors. And he has amassed an unbelievable library of books on the American West. And, and as far as cultures, um, I don't know anybody that knows more about the diverse cultures along the Santa Fe Trail than Michael does. Um, he, he's just got an amazing knowledge and then an amazing talent to go with it. And I, I hope he doesn't mind my talking about this, but he and his son, Ryan, who is unbelievably talented, wrote a song. I think they called it the Plaza. And it's about um, the plaza in Santa Fe. And um, he sent it to me, um, just the, the raw version and when I saw uh, Michael and Ryan a, a few months ago, I'm like, oh, my God, you've created Santa Fe, the musical, because it's so complex. There's so many things going on, so many images. And I said, I'm dying to see this. So um, that's my subversive motive now to have that turned into a musical. But um, he can take all that wonderful knowledge and and history that he has and turn it into art. And that's just yes. an incredible, incredible talent. And he's I, got such a wonderful heart and soul. He can capture things in music. Oh my goodness. He's it, amazing. It, it, just awesome. I've always been a big fan of his. I love, I love his songs. Me and, too. And this is wonderful. He's an historian as well as a <laughs> Oh, songwriter. he's amazing. He was actually a history major. Um, oh, really? Yeah, oh, he majored in the uh, I think in ancient civilization, I, I think I've got that right. But yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's just got the soul of a historian. 
And like his research, you know, and researching cowboy songs and the songs of of the black cowboys and the Mexican cowboys and, you know, all those minorities, the Irish, like his tribe, he Mm -hmm. says, you know, the Irish songs and, you know, his and then he um, he just puts all that, weaves it all together. He's he's an amazing human being. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we're thrilled. We're thrilled to have Michael um, involved with us. I'm looking forward to talking to him about your association and everything, too, and, and getting his perspective. This is just fascinating, and it's so appropriate for our audience because they're commercial drivers, and this is all about commerce and how our country grew. So it, it's, it, and I love history, let's face it. Um, and if you approach history the proper way, it really is interesting. It is interesting. It's just yes. like, you know, what's going on every day? I mean, that you know, what what are people doing? What they do, you know, yesterday, what they do 50 years ago, 100 years ago, and they're facing the same challenges. You know, and we do talk a lot about, oh, those people were bigger, better, braver, but they're just like us. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a lot of times I think we do a disservice when we talk about how much stronger they were because it's all relative and we're um, um, it gives us an out if we're not as strong. And I think uh, it reminds us that we we're all facing the same challenges. They may be uh, wearing different clothes and, and they may have a, um, you know, a little different set, but we're all facing the same challenges, you know, how to provide for our families, how to, how to do better, how to, um, how we're going to pay the bills, how we're going to make the most of our lives, how we're going to do the things we want to do before we die, check the things off our bucket list. How are we going to do that? They were thinking the same things. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. We have a couple minutes left here. How do people reach your association, Deb? The easiest and best way is just santafetrail.org. Um, it's a fantastic website. We've got just everything on there from uh, history articles. We have a link to our um, quarterly publication, Wagon Tracks. If you're a nerd and really love the history, that is phenomenal. Um, so many great articles about every aspect of, of the trail. But yeah, reach out. And um, I think my email is on there. If it's not, it's just uh, publicity at santafetrail.org. So I'd I'd be happy to hear from you. Excellent. This has been fascinating. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about this because what a fascinating history that I don't recall ever learning in school in such detail anyway. Well, uh, I appreciate your giving me the opportunity to share the detail, Shelley. Thank you, Deb. You have a wonderful day today. Thanks. You too. You've been listening to the Truckers Network Radio Show on TNCRadio.live. I'm Shelley Johnson. Stay tuned for more great programming coming up. Thank you for listening to another great interview on TNCRadio.live. All of the material you hear on TNCRadio.live on our website, our broadcasts, or our podcasts are copyrighted. There can be no distribution without the express consent of TNCRadio.live and its partners. For inquiries, write us at info at tncradio.live.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.